We'll drink it iced. It's fine. <laughs> iced ponche. Well, are you That's ready? That's hilarious. Yeah. What? Iced ponche. <laughs> the way you said it, too. Iced ponche. It sounds like a Starbucks refresher tea or something. <laughs> At that point, it'll be iced ponche. Mm. Iced ponche. Iced ponchos. Welcome back to the Shaking Not Scared podcast, Shots of Horror number three. We're diving into lore behind some of the movies we've covered, horrifying stories we've encountered, and just anything outright creepy. Here with you as always, your hosts, Eric and BB. Today we're talking about Krampus and the vampire rapist Wayne Bowden, but before we get into that, how are you, BB? I am in a weird limbo right now. It's almost Christmas, like tomorrow. The last two <laughs> weeks of the year is just a non-existent time void. It's like the Sunday scariest, but to the max. At least that's how I feel. Because I just get really depressed about festivities being over. It's like another nine months before something exciting happens. Not really. Not for us. We got a lot of exciting stuff planned for January and February. Go listen to it. Go watch it. Whatever we're coming up with, make sure that you find it. And if you have any suggestions for our anniversary episode, we're all years. Well, do you want to dive into this? Let's <laughs> I will be covering the Wayne Bowden case and Eric will be covering Krampus. I will probably be going first just so we can end on a lighter note. True crime stuff isn't our typical content. So I just want to give that warning out there that if this isn't the type of stuff you like to listen to, you could probably skip ahead to the Krampus portion of the episode. This case does deal with topics of sexual assault. Okay, let's talk Wayne Bowden, the believed inspo for Black Christmas. Although there is multiple... This is just the one that I was able to find more research on. I mainly gathered my information from good old Wikipedia and good old Murderpedia. Oh, that's a thing. It's a thing. Nice. But Montreal, 1967. It is booming. What? Why are you already laughing? Setting the scene. Well, yeah. booming. Music's thumping. Crime is happening. (laughs) (laughs) People are in the parking lot bumping. I mean, maybe. (laughs) How else is Montreal (laughs) in 1967? (laughs) I think we pretty much said the scene on that one. But along with the influx of new residents to the city of Montreal comes a rise in crime. This is something that just kind of happens when cities start to become more populated. The following year, in July of 1968, the body of Norma Viencourt, a 21-year-old school teacher, was found in her apartment after she had failed to show up for work. When detectives arrived on the scene, they discovered her body. She had been strangled and raped. Her body bore some vicious bite marks on her breast, a detail that the police decided not to release to the public. Unfortunately, this case didn't really go anywhere. Some people of interest were interviewed, but eventually the investigators hit a dead end. That was until October of 1969, when a woman named Shirley Audette was found dead at the rear of an apartment complex. She was fully clothed, and her body was found at the bottom of the fire escape. The manner of death wasn't readily apparent to the first responders on the scene. However, further investigation uncovered that Shirley had been strangled and raped, and had also had her breast mutilated with bite marks. Mutilated? So like bit apart? Yeah, there were some descriptions that went as far as to say that they were not on. It was not a good scene. This is not something that I would ever want to see. It was also noted that Shirley did not have any skin or cells under her fingernails, meaning that people thought she might have known her attacker and didn't have a chance to actually fight back. Once again, the investigation on this kind of led nowhere, but not even a month later in November, a jewelry clerk named Marielle Archambault finished work and left with a man. She told co-workers that the name of this mystery 
mystery man was Bill. Her co-workers noted that she seemed really entranced by this man. The next day, however, Marielle did not show up for work. Her employer actually called her landlady, who went to investigate Marielle's apartment. Unfortunately, she found Marielle's lifeless body fully clothed on the couch. She also had been raped and strangled. Once again, there were bite marks on the breast of the victim, and there didn't seem to be much of a struggle in the apartment. Her bra and pantyhose had been ripped, but the apartment itself looked to be in order. Now, this is the third victim that police have seen. They're starting to put together that this might be a pattern. They might be looking for the same man. By the third time? By the third time. Why not the second? Because I think it takes three kills to be considered a serial killer in the first place. But his MO, I don't know how unique it is. I don't know how many cases there could be with this I just don't, signature. I don't I'm tired of police. Because if I see, oh, look, a person was murdered and all their feet were cut off. And then I find a second one and like, oh, it's not that far away from the first one. And the feet were also cut off. I'd immediately be like, oh, probably related? Question mark? <laughs> Might be the same person. No, no, no. We got to wait for the third one. Sorry. To confirm. But this victim at least gave detectives a name, Bill. I found this joke online that I found in poor taste, but it was like, if you met a young woman in a bar and you said your name was Bill, you didn't have a hope in hell of taking that girl home. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. What? There's people being murdered, Bill. Damn. So people were just making jokes about it? I mean, apparently men named Bill were making jokes about this. Isn't that against them, though? I would not be making any jokes. Supporters. Didn't appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. But in January of 1970, a woman named Jean Way would become the final victim of the vampire rapist in Montreal. Jean's boyfriend had actually come to pick her up at her apartment for their scheduled date, but when he arrived and knocked on Jean's door, she didn't answer. Thinking that she was still getting ready, he headed off to the local bar to give her a couple more minutes. When he returned and continued to knock, he actually realized that the door was unlocked. He let himself in and discovered Jean's body laying naked on her bed. Okay, so here's the thing. There was some conflicting notes about this. There are some that said that she did have bite marks on her breast and there are some sources that say that she did not have bite marks. Either way, the hypothesis is that the boyfriend actually arrived too early while the killer was in the process of committing the crime. So her not having bite marks indicated that he didn't get to finish and he was scared off by him. But again, conflicting sources on this. Oh, my speculation was that it was the boyfriend and he's trying to say it was the killer. Huh. Because without bite marks, how would you know to tie the crimes together? Yeah. Without being able to say, oh, well, he strangled and mutilated. It could have just been anybody or the boyfriend and just said that it was this other thing. That sucks, though, because, like, if you're the boyfriend, you're looking a little sus. But also, you came in and found something super traumatic if you didn't do this and you might have been able to stop it, but you just didn't go in. That would suck, too. Either way, I would hate to be this boyfriend. This is all fucked, yeah. Yeah, he is not having a good time either way. Once again, though, police came to a dead end in this investigation. It was at this point where Wayne Bowden had relocated from Montreal to Calgary in May of 1971. In Calgary, his final victim would be a 33-year-old high school teacher named Elizabeth Ann Portis, who did not report to work on the morning of May 18, 1971. Her apartment manager was called, who then discovered her body on the bedroom floor. Portis had been raped and strangled, and her breasts were likewise mutilated with bite marks. Amid the wreckage, however, the police discovered a broken cufflink under the victim's body which was one of the first clues that would lead them to Wayne Bowden. In their investigation, they discovered that two of her colleagues actually saw the man who was picking her up for a date that night, riding in a blue Mercedes Benz. They noted that the car had a very distinct bullhead decal on it. The co-workers did remember that his name was Bill, and they described him as a flashy dresser with neat short hair. At this point, we could probably guess why a lot of people thought this case inspired Black Christmas. Bill, obviously, is 
he's the killer in mm. Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night and Gremlins and Gremlins. He murdered all those people. The Gremlins didn't. <laughs> yeah. I know it. The following day, May 19th, the blue Mercedes was spotted by the scene of the crime. You know, that thing of how killers often return to the scene of the crime to relive the crime. It seems like the most idiotic thing to do. I mean, I guess that speaks just to the narcissism of a killer thinking you're never going to get caught and wanting to relive what you did. The thing is, this is exactly the next day. I don't even think it's like died down enough yet. They're he, probably still active and they were actively investigating this scene. He hadn't even showered. Probably. They followed his scent the whole way. Yes, the policemen are dogs. actually part dog. Bowden was arrested half an hour later as he was walking to his car. He told police in the midst of this questioning that he had actually just moved from Montreal a year earlier, obviously tying him to the first four murders. He admitted that he had been dating Elizabeth and was with her the night of the murder. However, he claims that he left her at home and she was perfectly fine when he left. Again, suspicious boyfriend ends up being the killer. I don't know if it was a full boyfriend yet, if they were just on a couple dates. Still. Suspicious. Sus- obviously. Dating? <laughs> suspicious. Uh, suspicious as fuck. <laughs> the moment he says, will you be my girlfriend? Suspicious. Mm. What does he want? Run. When they presented the broken cufflink to him, he admitted that it was his. Why? This man, I think, was just ready to get caught. It was discovered that Bowden was a former fashion model. Okay, who cares if he was a fashion model? I was going to ask questions. I think it only ties into him being a flashy dresser. I've looked it up. This man is not that good looking. That's that was your question. Like, is it just like because he looks good? I don't know. Because there's so many people who would say like Ted Bundy was a good looking man. I do not think Ted Bundy was a good looking no, man. No, he looks like shit. And he was shit. So, you know. I didn't investigate the killer that much because I hate when it's glorified when we talk about their... Who are they? I mean, don't get me wrong. It's interesting, right? It's the whole thing of nature versus nurture. But I also feel like you remember every detail of the killer's lives and then you forget what happened to the victims, which I am just not a fan of. Yeah, no, I, I agree. What made him select these specific victims? Do we know that? Possibly that they were all living alone. Most of these women were killed near or in their apartments. Again, pointing out the similarities to Black Christmas where they are sorority girls. It seems like they're dating. They have their own lives. They have their own jobs. They're kind of independent. And he just hates women. Possibly. Isn't that? And boobs for some reason. Or he likes them too much. I can't imagine what makes you just wake up one day and you're like, you know those things? Those things that hang from chests? Those are the things that I want to eat. Because was he like cannibal? He wouldn't eat the flesh. I mean, when you're mutilating them, I, mean, yeah. I can't imagine that's like enjoyable. It's not a too far off to say you're almost there to cannibal. Right. Who knows? His crimes were definitely escalating. I think if he wasn't caught, he had the potential for that. But I don't know. That's speculation. The look on Eric's face is just disgust and question. Because <laughs> like, what led him to this? Like, I've never been so into something that I'm like, let me go bite the shit out of it. I'm gonna go bite Loki right now. I love dogs so much. Let me bite Loki's face off. Alright, calm down Michael. I guess I made a mistake by not researching more of his background. I mean, no, we don't need to know more. I'm just speculating here. Like, what leads you to that anyway? I mean, not good things I assume. Right. Modeling. Modeling. Well, I'm glad we caught him in time. I would argue we did not. Well, I said we could have caught him at two, but the cops want to play games. The rule is three. It's always the rule of three. Just kidding. You will definitely be arrested if you murder one person. Right. <laughs> two is already too many. Yeah. I would argue one is too many. I would argue even thinking about it. It's too many. <laughs> You've done enough. So the police in Calgary were actually able to hold Bowden on suspicions of Elizabeth's murder due to a photograph that was recovered at Marielle's place. She actually had a photograph of Bill, the man that she was going out with that night. Police just hadn't been able to connect that photo to anyone they knew in her life. 
But when they arrested Bowden, they realized that he had a striking resemblance to the man in the photo. With enough grounds to hold him, police then turned their attention to the bite marks on the victim's breast. Now remember, this was a detail that was never released to the public. And Bowden's case is actually the first case to be convicted in North America based on odontological evidence. So teeth marks. <laughs> Once he was convicted on those charges, he actually confessed to the rest of the murders. And that was enough to sentence him for three life sentences. Oh. But that is the alleged inspo for Black Christmas. And I can see a lot of the parallels. Especially with the Billy name. And his type of victims and the way that he killed them. I'm wondering why people disagree that this is actually it because like we said, Nick Mancuso, who is the voice of Billy, says that no, it is actually this other 14-year-old kid who killed his family. But that seems less likely than this. Is it just that thing of like, based on a true story makes it scarier? But we're going to keep it like vague so you don't actually know what story because we might be freaking lying. I feel like all movies now just say based on a true story. I need evidence. Do you have evidence of Krampus? I do have evidence of Krampus. I didn't go too deep into several of the different versions. Yes, I did. But <laughs> I lied. We all know St. Nicholas, the patron saint of children, but not many know of his evil counterparts around the world. Krampus may be increasing in popularity, but others include Hans Trapp of France, a rich man who worships Satan in life stealing all of his wealth from the people around him. He was banished by the Pope and stripped of everything he had. Isolated in the mountains, he began to hunger for the flesh of children. He dressed as a scarecrow, snuck up and killed a 10-year-old boy, and before he could eat him, was struck down by God. Now kids are warned of Hans Trapp, who goes around looking for children to eat during Christmas time. Uh couple of thoughts here. One, I like how he just went straight for craving some human flesh of children. I mean, I don't know the full story, but that's kind of the way it is. It's like he was isolated. And so he went into madness and was like, I want the flesh of children. Because, you know, in isolation, you don't crave chocolate. I mean, you don't crave boobs. Chips. Maybe he did. Did you say witch hips? Or chips. Oh. <laughs> crave chocolate or witch hips. Yes. That sounds folklore. Yeah. Struck down by God. Wow. Smited. How does it feel to be God's favorite kid? What do you mean? <laughs> Because God straight up intervened. <laughs> That's true. But I did see some notes that were like, why did God decide to do it after he had already killed the kid? When God decided that the abomination of eating this child was too much, he said, fuck you, Hans Trapp. But it was like, so killing the kid wasn't enough? Kidnapping this child, killing him, cutting up into pieces and putting him into a stew? You didn't strike him down any of that time? So you mean to tell me this man was preparing this stew? And right before he took the bite is when God struck him. He decided to draw the line right there. I'm going to make you do all the hard work of cooking, but you're not going to eat it. And then I'm gonna give you the job of going around like scaring kids during Christmas. So did he get his dream job? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if they're bad, he gets to eat them. So I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess this kind of just works out for him. Never mind. That kid is not God's favorite. No, I don't know the lesson there. It's like, well, he smited him to save the kid, but also he runs amok during Christmas time if you're bad. So there's a couple others. Barefoutard, also of France. When three kids were lost in Lorraine, France, they encountered a butcher asking him to give them somewhere to stay for the night. He killed the kids and put them on sale as pickled ham in his shop. St. Nicholas found out about this, went to the butcher's place and revived the kids. A miracle. To punish Pear, St. Nick tied him to his donkey with the job to punish naughty kids by whipping them from there on out. I don't know how that's a punishment. You killed those kids, so now I'm going to punish you forever to punish kids. Again, these people are just getting their dream jobs. His point is not just to punish naughty kids, but to punish them until they're good. Huh. That sounds like a lot of work. Maybe it's not a dream job. I mean, that's why it's punishment, right? But also, I just don't understand the whole full circle. It's like you were going to kill a kid, but also it's your job now to scare kids and almost murder them if you get them. Yeah. Just doesn't seem like a responsible way to handle this situation. <laughs> yeah. There's also Belsnickel of Germany. The story is that he used to drag naughty children out into the forest 
forest that never be returned. He wasn't all bad and would offer them ways to be forgiven by making them dance, sing, or do other tricks. A lot like St. Nicholas, Belsnickel brings gifts for good children and uses a switch to punish the bad. He's allegedly the first in Christmas history to have done something like this before Santa allegedly had a list. He also lets himself be known, unlike Santa, who brings gifts while you're sleeping. Creep. So this guy is more about... Were you good? Were you bad? Here I am. Did you want a gift? Were you... Oh, you were bad? Okay, you're just gonna get whipped, bud. First of all, a lot of these are, like, really into just hitting children. At least he's a... It sounds like a more consensual version of Santa, because he doesn't just wait till you're asleep. Apparently he just, like, knocks on your door and he's like, hey, I'm here. That's actually very courteous. Were you good or bad? Be honest. Or I might kidnap you and take you to the forest. And then make you sing, dance, or do other tricks. Or give you a murder weapon. No, he will murder weapon you. Until you're good. I'm just kidding. He's not Perfutard from France. He's not that other asshole. <laughs> okay, back to Krampus. So he is of pagan origin, and while the Catholic Church tried to ban him, he's been changed to be opposite to St. Nicholas while still being a friend of his. So I think people often assume that because he's opposite, it's like evil versus good, but they have a consensual relationship. It's like we both work together to punish or gift kids. His name comes from the word Krampen, which means claw, and is believed to be the son of hell of Norse mythology. That's fun. He's a lot like the devil, shown as half goat, half man, often depicted wearing furs and rags, a bearded face covered in soot, a long tongue, sometimes has a mask, that's a call out back to Krampus from facts, and devil horns. He can also be seen carrying chains, a stick or whip to punish children, and a sack containing treats for well-behaved children, or symbolic items meant to warn those who misbehave. Kids go out, they check to see if St. Nick left a gift, or they could have been left warnings from Krampus that are like, bitch, you were almost bad, so here's a warning so you don't continue to be bad. At least he gives a warning. Well, next time he could be like, I'm gonna beat your ass. But still warning. The sack is also used for carrying children away to be taken to hell or eaten. That escalated quickly. <laughs> Some of these things I read about, it's like, it depends on which iteration of Krampus you kind of look into. In the 12th century, we can see traces of Krampus or other versions of him, so like Belsnickel and Krampus can often be interchanged apparently. Necht Ruprecht it's another folkloric figure that when I was looking into Necht Ruprecht immediately I was like this is another name for Krampus a lot of the story deviated so I was like I don't know that this is actually Krampus okay he travels with St. Nicholas the day before St. Nicholas's day but has also accompanied other saints in the past including St. Peter and St. Martin under the name Necht Ruprecht other areas of Germany had him following Chris Kindle also known as the Christ child or baby Jesus see there is a Yule baby <laughs> mm -hmm. I knew it I wouldn't call him that but sure a Yule baby no Jesus is a Yule baby? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's celebrated on Krampus Nacht, December 5th, the night before St. Nicholas's Day. In some parts of Central and Eastern Europe, including Germany, Austria, and Czech Republic, people dress as Krampus scare children and exchange Krampus Karten, or Krampus cards. Modern celebrations include Krampus Lauf, or Krampus Runs, where people get drunk, dress as Krampus, and chase others through the streets. Apparently, some city, as much as 35,000 people would join in on, like, a Krampus run. I think I've seen photos of this. Could you imagine being a parent and your kid has been an asshole and you're like i can't wait to dress up and just scare the crap out of my kid on what, december 5th what i'm hearing is we need to start making yorona runs <laughs> a thing <laughs> that's real scary though i think i'd be more scared of krampus la Lorena. it'd be harder to run though because you're wearing a dress and a veil you just trip your hair over. is in front of you <laughs> yeah. the whole time while the catholic church tried to get rid of any traces of krampus because he was deemed too unreligious during the early 1900s he's made a resurgence over the last few decades in a lot of european countries in the u.s posing as an opposite to everything that is jolly about Christmas. Some believe this is because many have grown tired from all the commercialism surrounding Christmas, but others are worried that Krampus is headed in the same direction. In the beginning, you said that Krampus isn't super well known. I think he's definitely...
definitely been in a lot of pop culture stuff. There's very specifically, I'm thinking about American Dad had an episode about Krampus. There's the movie we just covered, but there is like so many movies, so many movies after that one that came out with Krampus. I love how the opposite of, oh, Christmas is so commercialized is we need to beat and terrify these children. Dress as potentially Satan. I mean, that's one way to go. I also read another thing that said that he's possibly just a combination of different goat figures in history. Like if he is Necropect, he's an adaptation of Odin. He could be a different iteration of one of the two goats of Thor. He could be an iteration of the figure that brings winter. He could be a lot of things. And it's just funny that it just has come to be this character. But that's all I got on Krampus. I think it's a cool story. I'd like to learn more a little bit about the other characters. One of them was a female. Was she the holiday witch? I think I saw something similar story-wise. She's like the opposite of St. Nicholas. I think she is a... Is she from Italy? I'm not sure where, but it was definitely a European folklore. Gotcha. There's also like the 13 Yule Lads. Have you heard of them? No. They're like dwarf type characters that go around fucking shit up, but also gifting kids. Oh, no, no. Yes, I think I have heard about this. They brought them up as like a scary story. And I was like, oh, I've only ever seen positive stuff about the 13 Yule Lads. There's also the Yule Cat. <laughs> oh my God. I just love that all these folklores are terrifying. Yeah. Like everything's a cautionary tale. I wish we had a lot that back they're just so much more interesting i think that's just called true crime now no i want yule cat stories not i want supernatural <laughs> krampus is great he seems all right yeah he seems cool he's got morals he leaves warnings he doesn't automatically punish you but he could eat you he could take you in his sack i mean but he warned you so it's fine he warned you last year so you had time to improve right but also he's got treats so <laughs> you know pros and cons if that's not enticing i don't know what is does that wrap things up for us here it does happy new year i know actually by the time of release you might be all christmas out so I don't know that I want to do Christmas all month and Thanksgiving all month in the future because it's just so much. It's just so much. Don't get me wrong. I've had fun doing Christmas drinks and covering some Christmas movies that we haven't seen. Let us know. Do you like the theme months? Is it too much? You just don't want to think about the holidays. Yeah, we hope it's a really fun New Year's for you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You can follow us pretty much anywhere at Shaken Not Scared Pod except Twitter. Twitter is Shaken Scared Pod. You can send us an email at shakennotscaredpod at gmail.com. You can support the show on Patreon. We've got different things on there. You can get access to one more episode and one more drink per month. You can listen to us on all your favorite podcasting sites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Stitcher, a bunch of others. Give us a listen. Give us a follow. Go like our drink videos. Send Loki some Happy New Year treats. Be sure to like, rate, review, all that good stuff. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.